There are so many opportunities in business in general to find that gray area to take advantage. I want as a division us always to be making the best decision for each individual person without thinking what would benefit me most. Placing value on doing the right thing way over results helps develop people. Brett Wiggins has become known as one of the most respected young leaders in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Doing the right thing is one of four strategic anchors that guide how he runs his business and how he lives his life. As you hear these concepts, I encourage you to look within and really consider how you might be able to apply these ideas at a higher level in your business or in your life. I know you'll enjoy getting to know this amazing leader who has become such a positive role model for many others. So thanks for letting me introduce you to Brett Wiggins. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm here today with Brett Wiggins. Brett is a 12-year veteran of the Cutco Vector business, having started in the summer of 2007 in South Bend, Indiana. This is while he was going to school, uh, Indiana University at South Bend. And uh, Brett became a branch manager the following summer in 2008, was one of the top branch managers in the Midwest region at that time. Uh, he became a district manager in 2010 in Muncie, Indiana, produced uh, a significant amount of results over his first few years as a manager, enough to the point that Brett was promoted to become the division manager uh, for all of the state of Indiana in 2014. It was called the Hoosier Division at that time. His division now has grown to encompass parts of Western Michigan as well as Indiana. It is now the Michiana division. And Brett is one of the top achievers in his region and one of the rising stars in the company. So really happy to have you on the podcast today, Brett. Thanks for making some time. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and uh, wanted to begin by finding out how you came upon this opportunity to work in Cutco and Vector. Yeah. So I was uh, referred like so many of us by a friend and it was a buddy from high school that kind of barely knew, uh, knew of him. And when I got the call, I had been looking for a job that entire summer. and was having a lot, a lot, a lot of trouble finding anything. And when they said the starting pay, I immediately did not care what the job was. I wanted to go in and meet. It could have been scrubbing toilets. 
I was going to go check it out and find out what the job was. Uh, and I thought the pay was good, product was good too. And uh, it was just going to be a summer gig. And my uncle wasn't in love with the idea. He thought it sounded pretty weird. He had worked in Elkhart, Indiana, where I'm from. We're kind of known for RVs and boats. But we have an RV Hall of Fame in Elkhart. Uh, <laughs> so so he, he was kind of in factories his whole life. And that's, I, I lived with my aunt and uncle and, um, and did not get a whole lot of support on that end. Uh, but went and made my first couple of sales. And, and I did okay my first summer. wasn't awesome. But I think I sold around eight or 9000 And then things really got rolling once I became an assistant manager and went back to school and was completely broke. And then I, I had to sell at that point. I had to do more demos. I had to work harder. And, uh, and did really well. And I think from that point forward was when I was really bought in on, on Cutco and Vector and just everything as a whole. Yeah, great, great. You know, I think a lot of people get attracted to Vector by those dollar signs that uh, get oh, advertised. I was I was working in a movie theater before I got this job, and I and and um, I was making four eighty five an hour, um, which the minimum wage way back then was only four twenty five, and um, <laughs> you know, so I was significantly above minimum wage. Woo. But uh, you know, I was trying to find something better, and I can remember my Vector ad advertised nine seventy five base pay. So, and Vector for anybody that you know doesn't know this pays people for every appointment that a rep does, which is, you know, it roughly equates to about an hour of work or so. But uh, we pay people for every appointment they do, whether they sell anything or not. And that sometimes is the the hook that will uh, get someone to apply with the company. And I certainly saw that. But uh, then when you get here, you realize there's a whole lot more to it than just that, as I'm sure you realized. I'd love to hear about some of the most significant experiences that you had as a sales rep or as a new manager just kind of growing up in the company, you know, what were some of these moments that stand out and some of the lessons that you feel came out of them? As, I guess, an assistant manager, what happened was my first fall, this would have been uh, end of August, beginning of September in Indiana where schools go back. I was one of the few reps from the summer who didn't go away to school. So I don't know if I got promoted because of my performance or because it was like, hey, you're still here. <laughs> uh, you're good at making calls. And uh, they wanted me to do uh, some recruiting calling for them. Uh, and my district manager promoted me and I was, I was just excited. I felt special. And I think that's really, I think some people, they will step up to earn a promotion. And I think some people step up because of a promotion. And that was me. Um, I, I felt like, hey, I'm an assistant manager. I need to lead by example. There's people counting on me. And that's when I really started to just dive in completely. I was completely sold. My first summer, I was the rep where I did not go to team night. I was way too cool to go to team night. I would rather hang out with my girlfriend or whatever. And then when I got promoted as manager, I really started to take it seriously. And I, I think that was the first time I had ever been ex- exposed to any, just the idea of personal growth. I remember my district manager came back from a strategic leadership conference and I don't know what group got to pick this, but she got to pick a certain amount of people that would get a signed copy of Matthew Kelly's book, The Dream Manager. And I was the person that she selected. So I just, I read that book and I think it was the first book of its kind that I ever read. And I just got hooked. I was listening to every, everything I could on, on Vector Connect on our company website to be able to utilize talks from other people. I was listening to stuff like that in the car instead of music. I was reading books in my free time. Personal growth became a really important part of my life once I became an assistant manager. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I feel like my whole path in life has been completely altered by the idea of pursuing personal growth. And for me, it was also 
as uh, I was an assistant manager and my district manager essentially coerced me to go see a Tony Robbins seminar and to pay $595 to go see a Tony Robbins seminar uh, here in San Jose. And I went and, and I feel like it, it completely changed my life from the context of getting me really excited about the idea of growing myself personally and what that could do for me. And I think so many people get that exposure for the very first time when they come into Vector. You don't necessarily get that at most jobs. I would have never got that at the movie theater job. They wouldn't have told me to read the dream manager or to, you know, listen to some audios or try outside learning. But people here uh, give us that exposure. And I think that's one of the most important things I got out of my early days in Vector as well. How about uh, as you advanced into branching and beyond? Yeah. So branching was something that if, if my first day of training, my manager would have said to me, hey, you're going to run your off today. That was not anything that was on my radar at all. I just wanted to sell some knives, make some cash and go back to school. And something that my division manager, Nadine, had told me over and over again was just keep your options open. You know, keep your options open. Don't close the door. Keep, it doesn't mean you have to do anything, but just keep them open. And once I became an assistant manager and started to kind of rise in the ranks of our leadership academy and manager candidates, uh, branching became something that I got really uh, excited about. And I probably about toward my winter break, I thought, started to think that I could do this. Like I, I could be good at it. So I got to branch. I went to Kokomo, uh, Indiana, which is a smaller, uh, smaller territory that we have that was probably, I don't know, two, two or three hours away from home. And I just remember getting there and having my own office and thinking, wow, like no one in this town knows about Cutco at all. Um, it was not a year round territory. Um, I don't think anybody had been there for a while. And I just thought that was so cool that I, I was Cutco in that territory. And I remember the first interview that I ran, uh, had like 24 people in it. I had, I had recruited people for weeks by uh, passing out flyers and going on campuses. And I just remember from that, from that moment, I was like, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. But I remember realizing like just the concept of money, like having my own bills to pay that summer was Gosh, it, it was, it was eye opening. I could understand my parents from a financial aspect in a way that I had never been able to before. I remember my friends came down to visit at one point. Uh, the Indy 500 is a really, really big deal in Indiana. And my, my territory was about halfway from home to Indianapolis. So they stopped there to, to kind of say that. And I will never forget, um, I'm in, it's my first time paying all my own bills and everything. And one of my friends takes a bunch of my frozen dinners. And just eats them. <laughs> and I remember, I remember waking up and being so angry. Like, what are you doing? And I could think back to the time when my uncle would be like, why are you using all of that ketchup? Why are you squeezing all of that out? And I was like, relax, it's ketchup. And immediately I was like, this, this makes sense. This makes sense now. There was, a, there was a big part of branching from a financial aspect that was eye-opening for me. Um, but also, I got off to a really fast start as a branch. I had a $50,000 May. And that was good enough to be number one in our region for that month. And, but I remember the way that I did it was just not sustainable. You know, it, it was working seven days a week. It was working. I mean, being at the office late, 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 getting there extra early, just not taking care of myself at all. And I remember getting to July and it was just like, I was a dead man walking. I, I was, you know, I, it, it was not going to last, but I learned that throughout my branch summer that if I'm going to do anything like this again, I've got to learn to take care of myself 
and I've got to learn to be able to take very strategic breaks. And I could get more done in six days than seven days on a consistent basis throughout the course of the entire campaign. So when I went to be a pilot manager, new DM, I, I learned that then I still developed the work ethic that I did as a branch. Um, and we did a, about 150 grand, uh, but I knew how to do it and sustain it now instead of just, you know, absolutely diving off a cliff after two months of running on Red Bull and, and you know, no sleep. Mm, for sure. And I think a lot of people get that experience and learn that. I, I love what you shared about going to Kokomo and creating something out of nothing, right? That's mm -hmm. what a lot of our branch managers have an opportunity to do is to create something where there was nothing, right? Or an entrepreneur beginning a startup, right? Like they're, they're, it's a clean slate and they get to create something where there was nothing before. And that's a very daunting task for most people, but at least in Vector, we, you know, we have the framework that people can follow and the, the track that people can follow to be able to do it successfully. Um, and learning about the financial side in a way that's not, uh, you know, sort of a crippling challenge, right? Like we, we get to learn about the financial side of running an organization where we're dealing with numbers that in the big picture are relatively small financial dollars. But you get to realize like the importance of, you know, how everything counts and, and you get to learn that financial responsibility. Uh, and I think it's important to learn that when the numbers are small so that you have it when the numbers are bigger later on down the road. So, so those are some pretty cool lessons out of, uh, out of being a branch manager. How about during your district manager days, Brad? Is there more you'd like to share about some of your experiences and lessons? Yeah, yeah. I got the opportunity to pilot before I districted. And um, I didn't realize at the time how much that would help because running a, a branch was really, it was just my office, but it was just me. And being pilot, I had the opportunity to have a staff and I really could see the value of making sure I focused on developing others and not just myself and what's possible to get done when you have more people involved. So as a new DM, I worked really, really hard to be able to build a team right away to be able to have some sort of staff to be able to work with. That was a lot of fun. As a new DM, uh, I worked really, really hard and had a lot of fun. And that was in Muncie, Indiana. And, and I remember what, what I had not quite learned yet was the difference between running a sprint and a marathon. So I would work through people, but there were times where I would sprint for a contest or for a special push week. And, and then I would not get the business ready for the following weeks to come. So I remember in our region, we do uh, what's called January programs. So over winter break, uh, we get everybody together for basically a couple of big weeks of sales. And we kind of build up to it over the course of November and December. And the first week as a new DM, uh, we crushed it. $45,000 in sales. I, we were number one new district in the nation. I was literally on top of the world. I was so excited. We hit, I think, I want to say we hit the, uh, the campaign bonus, like the first week of the entire month for the whole campaign. It was awesome. And then the next week, Dan, we did $3,000 in sales. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, I, I was selling out for contests or for a specific push, but I did not grasp that I could get more done in a healthier way over a long period of time uh, versus just all out one week, go for it, and then just be dead for a few weeks until you recoup. So as a new DM, I was able to, to learn that the hard way. And then it actually led me to 
because I was in that sprinting phase, um, I actually, I was coaching with Betsy Crouch uh, at the time, who I'm sure you know as well, Dan. And Betsy, she made this, made me aware of it for the first time that, right, you're, you're a sprinter. You know, you're not thinking long-term very often. You're thinking what's right now going to be best. And you're not thinking of what's going to be best down the road. So I remember this probably, I probably stayed that way until my second summer running a district office. And I remember at the beginning of that summer, I had expressed to my division manager that, man, I don't, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I had lost a lot of confidence. I had been just stuck in this roller coaster of results, uh, just back and forth, up and down, up and down. And I remember I started the summer with that conversation with her. And then toward the probably second month of summer, I had a sales manager who I had, uh, told, hey, you're going to give a talk over recommendations at the team meeting. I really think that this is what the team needs to hear. So I remember getting ready to bring her up to give a talk. And uh, I remember saying, and, and Sarah is going to talk about recommendations. And the look in her eyes of, oh, crap, I forgot I'm giving talks. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, Sarah is one of my best friends this day. She actually, she's the director of sales at Springbuck now, um, which is one of the fastest growing uh, startups in Indianapolis. But at the time, I'm furious with her. I am so angry. And she gets up. She wings it. She completely wings it. It was atrocious. It was bad. On my call with my division manager that day, I'm complaining about this. And I'm like, I just don't get it. I told her about it with plenty of time to prepare. And she stopped me. She goes, Brett, how can you expect her to be committed when you aren't committed? And it just immediately just, it was the realest feeling I think I had had in a very long time of, she's completely right. Like my, my people are going to be a reflection of me. Mm. And we got into this deeper conversation about what I'm capable of and what I'm actually doing. And, and it, it was a very healthy conversation to have that I think was a, a very big turning point for me as a DM, because from there I got promoted to a bigger territory within like six months. Within a year of that, I got promoted to DVC and then, and then DVM. But until then I had not thought that that would make a difference. It is what it is. The business is going to happen however it happens. And I finally had that realization of, I can't be one foot in, one foot out. I've, I've got to be committed. And my people are a reflection of that. Yeah. I heard the quote, people are a reflection of you when I was a brand new sales rep. It was one of the, one of the things that really stood out. There, there's these various quotes that I can, I can still remember from literally my first couple of years in Vector that stood out. And that was one that I, I always remembered. And, and it's something that I've pondered and thought about a number of times in the past as I've been working on my organization or dealing with some of my people in my organization or dealing with my kids, right? Yeah. Which you, you understand. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, how is this reflecting me? You know, if, if it's something that's not good, asking myself that question, trying to think about, you know, what, what can I improve in my own self that can help my people to improve also, I think is, is a constructive way of thinking for sure. You know, it's so funny that you talked about the references talk and that the person didn't know, didn't remember that it was, it was her turn. I had the exact same experience <laughs> and it was with a guy that you've heard of, Carl Gedris. Oh, was wow. the person, you know, who became 
the top district manager in the history of our company to this day. Tell me, was that a, it was at a team meeting? It was at a team meeting. It was at a team meeting. It was at a team meeting. And I started calling him up for his references talk and he had forgotten that he was giving one, but he came up. He was veteran enough that he was able to come up and deliver a halfway decent talk without any notes, you know, but, uh, it's, but I just learned always when I run my team meetings, like I'm always reminding people of, of you know, I always, there's a review right before of like, Hey, this is what's going on. So that people, I, I would never run across that again. You talked about the, the idea of sprinting really hard and then, you know, being tired and, and not being able to kind of continue that, uh, that effort. I think, you know, when people are running branch offices, uh, it's okay to sprint because they know they're going to close at the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. for, for our reps who are working, you know, for a limited amount of time in one summer, some of them only have four weeks, five weeks, you know, eight weeks. Like it's okay to teach them that, hey, it's a sprint this summer or it's a sprint during this push period, things like that. But for a long-term manager, right, we have to focus on building and sustaining momentum versus just sprinting. I had an interview with Mike Lancelot, you know, the former CEO of Vector. And Mike said, the most powerful forces in business are momentum or a lack of momentum. And, and I think it's good for managers to ponder like, which of those states am I in, in my business right now? Am I in a state of momentum or am I in a state of lack of momentum? And getting your business into a state of momentum is critical for success, particularly in our business here uh, in Vector. And, and it seems like that was a, a lesson that you dealt with and confronted a few times as you're relatively new in the business. How about as a division manager, Brett, you want to round this out with some lessons? Yeah. So I think when I started to make leaps as a district manager was when I stopped just kind of doing things because my division manager, region manager said to do them. And I started to really think, what do I believe is best? So listening to the advice, taking a second to really say, okay, here's what they have from their point of view, but looking at my organization, looking at me personally, what do I really feel is best? Really owning that. And within, I think we went from 350 to like 550 to over a million. And that was when I really started to reach out and not just hope that I was going to get the coaching or advice that I needed from my direct leaders uh, as my DVM and my arm. I really started to say, hey, they're kicking my tail. Like, let's reach out to them. Let's let's find out what what they're doing. And then just I got to a point as a division manager, probably a year or two in where I was like, I'm just not satisfied with where I'm at or the, or the, you know, trajectory of where we're going. And something that I had always struggled with was reaching out for help. Like I was just not good at that. I was not comfortable with that. I remember my first SLC, I skipped uh, late night millionaire tables because I just, I, I don't know if it was pride or I was, I felt like I should be doing better as somebody who had so much success as a branch and as a pilot, but I just did not want to do that. So finally, as a DVM, I made a list of 20 questions and I reached out to some of the DVMs in our company, past and present, that I really respected the business they had built, but also the lives outside of the business they had built. And I asked them the exact same 20 questions. And that's when I really got a lot of, a lot of confidence and things started really started to move in the right direction. And we started to add DMs and pillars here and there. 
And I think that's what kind of catapulted us to where we're at now, where I'm at as a division manager now. Um, and one thing that came throughout those conversations was really taking, making the conscious effort to always be focused on my pillars, being focused on people that were responsible for most of my business as a division and making sure that no matter what happened, I made sure I was making time uh, for them. Because as, as, a, as a division manager, even as a district manager, there are so many people that you could choose to put your time and energy into. It's endless. And just making the conscious decision that, you know, these four people, these five people, these six people, um, they're who are going to get my time and energy before anyone else. And once I started doing that, then, then their results really started progressing. And then we started growing as a team a lot more. Those were some great lessons, Brett. I think, I think, uh, a lot of our new managers and, and, you know, growing leaders in the business or out of the business can learn some good things from some of the insights you shared right there. Who are some of the people that most impacted you on your journey? Uh, Nadine McGowan, my original division manager, she really became a big sister to me in the business. We spent so much on her family and me. I mean, her and her husband, we, we would spend time in the office, out of the office. She just showed me how to care for people beyond their CPO or, or beyond their results. Um, she really, really took me in as somebody who mentored me big time. Jeff Bry has always got my back as my region manager, but even you know before I was a DVM, has always has my back. Uh, no matter what the situation, he's always got my best interest in mind. Sometimes even when I'm like Jeff, that's not what's best, but it's what's best for me. And he he really sticks his neck out big time. And and I think any of the division managers in our region would would say that too. Trent Booth, uh, I started coaching with him in 2012, so right around the same time that I really started to see my business grow. Trent just makes me think. He makes me a better leader, but not because of anything he tells me to do, but by the questions that he asks. I think he's somebody that I feel like I can share anything with without judgment. I feel like Trent is just that person for me that when I feel stuck, or like you said, I don't have momentum, I know I can reach out to Trent right away and he can get me back on track or get me to get myself back on track and focus on the right thing. And then John Kane, when I was a, a new frustrated division manager, he just has this way of just letting you sit and be and whether it's bent or meeting where you, where you are, I've never felt like I couldn't share something with, uh, with John or that he wasn't going to be able to be empathetic with where I was at and just be at that ear that I needed at times. Those four would be the ones that come to mind right away. Yeah, those are great. You know, you mentioned about Trent that he, he makes you think as a leader and he, he was able to ask you questions that really got into your head and got you to consider, you know, how you could grow. And you also referenced the specific question that I believe it was Nadine asked you earlier. Um, when you were describing, you know, that conversation, you know, where mm -hmm. she was asking, well, what about your commitment, right? Yeah. How is this reflecting you? And, and I think that's one of the most powerful questions that it, we can be asking people that we're coaching is to think about, right, when they're venting about some problem or some person, you know, how is that reflecting them? How is this result that they're producing reflecting their own effort or reflecting their own skill level? How is it showing them an opportunity for growth that they have and getting people to really consider and ponder those growth opportunities that they have? And then what are their next steps to be able to move in that direction so that people take control of their future? 
So it was cool to hear that uh, you've had people in your life that have impacted you in that way. Jeff Bry was telling me that you are, you're well known for the idea of just doing what's right and using that as an anchor for how you do everything. This applies both, you know, in your personal and professional life. And I would just love to hear a little more about this concept and how it's manifested itself in your, in your division. Can you speak to that for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So we, as a division, we have four strategic anchors that I want everybody to kind of adhere to. And when they're making a decision to think about it, to recruit the best, pursue best practices, achieve breakthroughs and do the right thing. And specifically with doing the right thing, it's just the idea that I'd rather sell less the right way than, than sell more the wrong way. There are so many opportunities in business in general to find that gray area to take advantage, I think. And I just, I want as a division us always to be making the best decision for each individual person without thinking what would benefit me most. And, and I think that a lot of new leaders that I work with, a lot of times they'll, they'll describe an entire situation to me and say, Brett, what do you think I should do? And I, and I think that everybody inherently tends to know what the right thing is to do. But there might be that little voice in their head going, yeah, but if you do it this way, X, Y, or Z might happen. When they know what the right thing is, and I think just placing value on doing the right thing way over results helps to develop people. Our, our retention, I feel like, has been really amazing over the course of the last few years. You know, three years ago, we had literally four offices represented at our SD2 push for our entire division. And this past year, we had 17. And I will tell you that it's because I think people know that we're going to make the best decision for you, for them both in and out of the business. They trust our leadership when it comes to what's best for me, what's the position I'm going to thrive in, what's the territory that I would be best in. And I think that they know that, hey, I'm going to do right by you. Our leaders are going to do right by you in and out of the business um, for, for, for them, period, whether it's what's best for, for them or not. So just always try to go above and beyond. Is it uh, something I learned from Trent, there are things that are permissible, but not always beneficial. And really trying to find that area, that circle that it's beneficial for them. And it still works for us too. Hmm. That was really good. That was insightful. And, and you know what? People need to hear what you just said. The idea of making the decision that's right, regardless of the short-term benefit that might come the leader's way if they steer something a little bit, you know, different path. That is a situation that people will confront many, many, many times in business and in life. And it it's so easy to take the expedient path because it's going to be good for today. It's going to be good for right now. It's, you know, this is okay. It's not that bad in the long run. But people need to hear over and over and over again. And I, I, I really respect that you've made it one of your pillars of your organization because the pillars of our organization tend to get repeated frequently, right? I'm sure that at every big meeting, right, this is something that you talk about. And so your people yep. are hearing consistently that this is what we do. And so when they confront that situation, there's going to be Brett Wiggins in their head saying, right, do what's right, do the right thing. Right. This is what we do. And it's, it's, it's going to be much more likely that they'll make those decisions in that moment. Sometimes what prevents people from doing that is, is that short term results, you know, can be better by making a different decision 
Other times, Brett, what I found that prevents people from doing that is ego. It's like people just want to hold on to their ego. They have this sort of false sense of pride, you know, that, that they have and they lose sight of the real purpose in working with people, developing people, developing an organization. And so they end up holding on to and making sort of stubborn decisions uh, that aren't in the best interest of the organization because they, they, they just feel like, oh, if I, you know, let this person do this, or if I, you know, go down this road, you know, it's going to make me look weaker. It's going to make me look like I'm not as good of a leader or something like that. When in reality, the reverse is actually true. So I think that's something people can really ponder and think about is how does that apply to them in their life or in their business? Yeah, I think that for me, when I first started just really saying, hey, I need to do the right thing all the time, try to, we had a situation uh, at a conference where some of our, our new like assistant manager leaders made less than awesome decisions. And I had the decision, you know, they're awesome performers. Do I give them any sort of consequence and potentially upset them and maybe they leave? Or do I just kind of let off the hook, look the other way and it'll work itself out? They're young, whatever. And, and I made the decision, you know, they, they, there need to be consequences because if, if that's not a consequence and they know I know about it, well, now they think that's okay. And now that's my responsibility. And I will tell you, we did lose some people in that specific scenario, but the few that are still here are some of the best leaders that we have. And some of the people that they instill those pillars and anchors into their entire organization because they know what we're about. So I think long-term, the right people stay if they're about the right thing. Yeah, that's a perfect example too of when a lot of people will have to confront that that decision, right? Is providing consequences to somebody for uh, inappropriate behavior of some sort. So uh, I appreciate that you shared that story. That, that's great. Um, yep. What else do you think uh, is unique about you or your organization that others could learn from? I would say going slow to go fast at times. So meaning, you know, our, our goal about three years ago when we had those four offices was I want to grow to 20 offices and I wanted to have 10 districts and 10 branches. And I made it a point not to put a timeline on it because I didn't just want to put warm bodies in chairs. I wanted to make sure I really built it the right way. And, and it's different, you know, as a, as, a, as a manager in a local office running training, I'm way more willing to give people a shot than on a leadership level. But I really wanted to have those pillars in the right place and grow with the right people because I knew that that would ripple quickly and it has. So I think that just being willing to take my time with people to be able to get them ready to be in a leadership role uh, versus thrusting them into it because there's an opening, I think has really paid off long term. But it took some patience uh, to be able to really get it right. And then I would say this one, most that I share this with, it kind of scares them a little bit, but my best leaders don't always do what I tell them to do. I don't always do what, you know, Jeff Rye says, hey, here's what I think is best. And he respects that because I can always do it respectfully. But my best leaders oftentimes will, I encourage them, do whatever you believe is going to get you the best results. Because the reality is if you do it just because I told you to do it, you're not going to do it as well. You're not going to try as hard. You're not going to be as happy. And if you don't do well, who can you blame? You can blame me because you're just doing what I told you to do. So I always tell them at the end of the day, I would rather you do what you believe is best than just follow my lead. And then we can talk about it afterwards and we can decide, hey, was this the right call and how can we learn from it? And, and that way, when things go well, 
it's not because they did what I told them to, it's because they made a conscious effort and decision for their own business. And when things don't go well, they take ownership over that and they can learn and, and, and then make differences. I always tell them guys, at the end of the day, I don't pay your bills. You know, you do. So it's gotta, it's really gotta be your call and you've gotta be the one that makes that decision for yourself. So I would say that's, that's unique about us than what I've seen in other organizations. Yeah, you know, Jim Rohn, many years ago, I heard him say, be a student, not a follower. And, and I've always taken that to heart, uh, when listening to, you know, quote, advice from people or even direction from others is to think about it, right? And it's, and, and that's what we want to develop. That's what you want to develop mm-hmm. in your kids. And it's what you want to develop in, in your people that are in your organization as well. Is we want to develop thinkers, not just followers. Right. And, and by helping people think and come to their own conclusions, also they are much more committed to them, as you said, and they understand better how to make the next decisions uh, that they're going to confront. So yeah. we're, we're creating depth in people. And I think it can be scary though, especially with their kids, right? Like I know with my daughter, if I can't see her for 30 seconds, my heart starts to beat. If I'm like, oh, nothing, there's no noise. What's going on? Is she dead? <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it's hard. It's scary. But when, when you see what happens when they only know to listen to you, it cripples them from being able to make their own decisions and empower them. So the whole idea is I'm not going to be available to all 17 managers every second of the day. I want them to feel confident to make their own decisions. And then when they come back to me and maybe they didn't do what I advised them, I don't want them to be scared to bring that up. So checking myself and being like, hey, when they made a decision that I didn't exactly think of for them, how am I responding and making that a comfortable environment for them to come to me with, hey, here's what I decided to do. Okay, what are we going to learn from it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was really good. I see most people aren't seeing the video feed here, but I see behind you the Marty Dimitrovich Triple Crown of Service Award. And this is truly one of the most prestigious things our company gives people. It recognizes people who impact uh, the world in positive ways, both in vector and out of vector. And and I'm just wondering, uh, what are some of the things that you're doing to change lives outside of the vector business? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. I, I think that a really cool thing about being a district manager, division manager with, with Vector is the, the autonomy that you get. You know, if, if you're getting results, you can really create whatever type of lifestyle or schedule that you want. And with that extra time, I'm able to volunteer a lot at our church. Um, we're really involved, had a tremendous impact on me. And I got asked by one of the leaders at church, hey, where, what's an area that you feel like you're gifted in? And I said, I love helping students. Love helping students. So I dove right in to our fifth and sixth grade program, uh, mostly because like when it comes to like scriptural stuff at church, I'm like completely new to that world within the last eight years. So I was like, well, I'll know more than them. You know, they're like 11 and 12 years old. I I can hang with that. And it was so cool. There's about two or 300 of them every weekend that for about a year and a half, I would help run program for. I'd I'd give the message, uh, dig in with them one-on-one. A lot of the skills that I learned at Vector and at Cutco, I'm able to really use outside of that. And it, it really is, there's so many similarities, what we do there and what I do in my local office uh, here in Indianapolis. So uh, that, and then I help lead uh, the student ministry leadership team. So we really have the idea at our church that we want to turn things over to the students as much as possible. So if you can imagine a Sunday night uh, service for high school students, but it's all ran by middle school and high school students from 
the band to the people giving the message to the welcome team to everything. And they really wanted to make that servant base. So leading them and teaching them things as simple as like when we're teaching somebody being had a second person interview, she is the key. They okay? smile, handshake, eye contact, uh, how to, how to introduce somebody, how to welcome little things like that, that I'm able to teach them and, and help at church has been a really, really big part of our life for probably about the last three years. Yeah, that's great. Brett, and, and I would just love for anybody listening to this to think about how, how you can impact the world in ways that are outside of just your work, because most people listening to this podcast are probably very successful at some level uh, or headed in that direction for sure. And I think that there's a responsibility to give back, and it's great to see you doing that and awesome to see that you were honored with such a prestigious distinction from our company that honors you know one of our, our all-time great leaders that we've ever had in the company. Thank Brett, you. as you look ahead uh, into the future, five, 10 years down the road, what, what are you most excited about? Immediately, uh, what comes to mind is just being just a great husband, great dad. Uh, Dan, I know you can relate to this, but as soon as you have a kid, everybody can tell you, but you literally, your whole view of the whole world, at least mine, changed overnight, especially having a girl. It was just immediately just like, whoa, it, it was life-changing for me. So um, one goal that I have is just, you know, I've, I've gotten really good at taking a lot of time to plan out my organization and really dreaming about what's the next three years, five years, 10 years, what could it look like? And then, you know, kind of working backwards and saying, okay, what are the conversations I can have today to put us on track for that? Who are the people that I can attract and, and put around me to be able to create that? I want to be able to, to do that from our family. I want to take as much time and energy to plan out how our family is going to do life together over the next decade and be really intentional about that. I think it's really easy as a business owner, dad, husband, to be able to wake up, do the routine, go to work, come home and have as, as much energy as you can with everybody. And I feel like me being intentional with how, how are we going to make this great would really be the thing that I'm most excited about. So from a family perspective, absolutely positively my biggest goal is just to plan that out with my wife and our family and, and really have a plan moving forward. Well, that's awesome to hear, Brett. It, it's been great to see the success you're achieving. Uh, you're an amazing leader in our company. You're a pillar there in your Midwest region. And it's awesome to be able to witness your success and, and to think about all the success that's to come for you, because I really feel like it's pretty clear, like the best is yet to come. And there's so much great stuff that's going to come down the, the, uh, the pike for you in, in the years ahead. So thanks so much for making the time to share some information and stories with uh, our audience today. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you so much, Dan. All right. Take care. Brett Wiggins, everyone, an amazing young leader in Vector. And this is a guy that's barely over 30 years old now uh, and is making waves all throughout the company. And, and, and you can see why. Love what he shared about getting exposed to the concept of personal growth as an assistant manager, reading Matthew Kelly's book, The Dream Manager, which is really phenomenal. And for anyone who's leading people, I would uh, recommend that book extremely highly for you to put on your list right now. I also liked where Brett talked about learning the financial side of success as a branch manager. And, and this is a critical area that uh, we can impact people in Vector and, and leaders can impact people in whatever you do is helping people to connect their financial goals and dreams and visions 
to what they're doing at their work and to make sure that they have uh, good practices in those areas and, and the right habits in those areas. Because there's a lot of people that make a lot of money that don't do the right things with it and they don't end up in a good place in the long run. So there's a lot of good ideas that were shared right there. Brett's four strategic anchors. Recruit the best, right? Pursuing the best people that we can have in our organizations. Pursue best practices, right? Finding out what are the best practices. And then I love how he has the word pursue in there. Pursuing best practices, seeking answers, making sure that we're putting those into play in our organization so that we're doing well. Achieve breakthroughs. Consider for yourself, what is your next breakthrough? What is your next milestone in your business or in your life that you could knock out here by the end of this year or in the year ahead? And then, of course, do the right thing, which is one of the key anchors for how Brett does everything in his life and in his business and something that we talked about in the interview. Uh, Brett described the ways that he's impacting youth in his church and, you know, as you venture into the rest of your day here, I would like to leave you with thinking about how can you change lives outside of your work, in your community, through your personal influence. You know, if we could just bring a little bit of Brett Wiggins to all of our communities, uh, the world would be a whole lot better place. Think about that. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.